and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, and it's just me for a quick introduction to our special guest for today's podcast. We had back on a very familiar face, a very familiar name for Cincinnati Bearcat fans, Keith Jenkins, formerly of the Cincinnati Enquirer, joins the podcast to talk about his departure from the Cincinnati Enquirer, to talk about the hiring process that we went through with John Cunningham and Scott Satterfield, and also to talk a lot about Cincinnati Bearcats basketball, where we're at, where we're heading, how we're feeling. I don't want to, I don't want to filibuster any longer. Let's get straight into it. Without further ado, Keith Jenkins. We are now joined by a familiar face around these parts. We've had this gentleman on the podcast many a time over the last few seasons. Keith Jenkins is back on the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast, a freelance sports journalist living in the Cincinnati area still, following the Cincinnati Bearcats. Keith, welcome back to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast. It's good to be back, man. Thanks for having me. Well, elephant in the room. I think we should probably we should probably kick it off here. But the the introduction was a little different than it was in the past, given that the past couple of times I've introduced you, it was as a Cincinnati Enquirer reporter. Okay. That's changed since we last spoke. Maybe we start there. Can you can you tell me a little bit about transitioning away from the Enquirer, circumstances surrounding it? I obviously don't want to pry too much, but maybe just an understanding of where you were and where you're heading. Yeah, um, I think it's a, I think it's fair to probably address it because um, there's been rumors. Someone called me and said that they heard that I've got into it with John Cunningham and the Enquirer let me go because of that or something like what? Um, which no, is not true. No, That's yeah, full, f- that that was a rumor that was that was floating around in our Discord server. Keith was yeah, was the idea that that you broke the the Scott Satterfield news a tad too early. And therefore, that that was that. Yeah, let's debunk that. Um, that that had nothing to do with uh, my departure um, from the Enquirer. No, man. I mean, it's it's all love over there. Um, I appreciate you know the opportunity to come back home. You know, obviously to my hometown and, and cover my alma mater. And obviously, it was a great time. You know, given what you know Luke Fickle and Desmond Ritter. And, that crew did and um and then the what wasn't great was the John Brandon stuff and um but it was great to just cover that. I felt like I did it fairly too. Like, you know, UC and I still had great still had a great relationship after that. John Brandon and I, believe it or not, are still cool. So you know that makes me know that, you know, I I did the right by both parties and um and and that that was probably really probably the most difficult story that I covered, you know, since I've been here. Just trying to, you know, I had just gotten here, you know, and you know I didn't know exactly what was going on, and just like fans, we were all trying to figure out what the heck is going on over there. Um, and as we started to piece things together, it was just important to me that I was fair. Um, still remain fair to John. Still remain fair to the university and obviously the student athletes who were involved. But as far as my departure, man, it just, it just really wasn't a great fit. Um, 
again, and it's it's all due respect to everyone over, over there, there, but um, you know, they they just they did a lot of things over there that I just didn't understand. Um, and I think the heart of this was um I wanted to be happy and I wanted to continue to be a journalist and do great work and and um I just felt like there were a lot of factors that were hindering me from um doing that and um and I just I just you know everyone would be like man you I bet you're having a blast you know you know all the things that are happening and all that and I wasn't and um and so I, you know, I was working really hard, and I, I hope fans can understand and and, and appreciate. And I was, I worked hard every day at the Inquirer just to do great work on that beat. It was truly um, an honor to to cover those programs. Um, but I just, I just needed a change, and I needed um, something different and, and a new path. And um, it was a very agonizingly difficult decision, I'll, I'll admit that. Um, but just with some things that were going on internally over there, and then um, it, with Gannett, you know, there were issues, and, and I'm not saying anything that's not out there, you do a simple Google search, but whether it was, you know, voluntary severance offers or, um, you know, furloughs or layoffs and just different stuff with Gannett. And just with, so it, it was just a storm where I was just like, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, but again, it, it's not about, I left on great terms and I'm very, again, appreciative of everyone over there. There are a lot of great people over there who do a lot of great work. And um, so I don't want to take away from that, but it was just a personal decision. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun. I've, I've done some work for the AP. I, I uh, covered DeMar Hamlin and, and that, fallout in, in the aftermath of that and as he continued to work his way back to full strength I was there for the Associated Press and then I'll cover Cincinnati and Houston at at, uh, at Shoemaker Fifth Third so I was there primarily to cover Houston but um, it's been cool to see Cincinnati um, improve particularly as you're facing the giant that is Houston and, you know, we kind of would joke the reporters on the beat, all right, we just got to keep it below 30, right? Because for a while there <laughs> was 30-point losses every time out with Houston. But, you know, even though there's no moral victories, it's obvious that um, Cincinnati has started to close the gap in a sense with Houston. But, you know, it's not, you know, there's no, again, there's no moral victories. It's important to note that, they're not going anywhere. The Big 12's coming. They're going to be right there with us. And um, I think Houston is going to be – they might freaking cut the nets down this year with the Final Four being in, in Houston. And so I don't want to get too ahead of the conversation. But as far as, you know, your, your question, it's a fair question. And I know that fans have been wondering what happened. But um, I just think it was time for me to take a step back and reassess and regroup and um, – and then get back to, to really having fun and, and, and doing um, without anything impending impeding that. And so that's what that's what that that ultimately, that ultimately came down to. Well, I, I certainly appreciate your willingness to to address the question. I, I wanted to ask it because it, it feels a little unfair to to just have you hop on and not and not 
at least address it in some way, shape, or form and get an understanding of how things move forward there. But I appreciate you sharing what you did, you know, in terms of your personal path forward and what you're looking to do in the future. Have you put much thought into that? You know, right now it sounds like you're sort of taking on jobs as they come and, and the type of assignments that may interest you. Where do you where do you see yourself heading in this media landscape? Because you bring up some of the challenges that the Enquirer faces. You bring up the challenges with um, these bigger corporations that take take ownership of these of these newspapers and what where journalism is heading. Everyone knows about the challenges that industry faces. How do you navigate this new landscape in terms of where you see yourself heading and balancing that with the actual type of work you want to do? Yeah, and that's the big question now. And um... And I'm, I'm watching the NBA All-Star game as we're, ooh, ooh. Um, yeah, so there was just a crossover. Um, yeah, no, that's that's interesting. And that's the interesting part is I think at the core of what it is that I love to do is um, tell stories and um, really be a journalist. And I think what's, what's interesting about our um, business right now is that's kind of starting to get lost. Um, I think there's a there's a great um, desire um, to not necessarily have journalists but media personalities where um, you know the the in-depth storytelling reporting well-sourced work isn't what's being celebrated. It's more so, you know, trending topics and, um, you know, the social, the, social the, engagement. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember, you know, I got, I got talking, I was talking, I was talked to about, um, I was spoken to about having, um, you have more followers than actual tweets. You need to, you need to tweet more. You need to engage more. And I'm like, I, I mean, I understand that and I appreciate that, but it's it's not about, you know, like when I got into this, it was always, it's never about me. It's about them. It's about the story. It's about, and I'll, I'll tell you this, like, you know, my last day, I called John Cunningham and I told him I was out and we had a conversation and he thanked me um, for the work that I did, but he said, what he enjoyed and appreciated most about me was it was always about the kids, the student athletes, the players, the athletes. And I told him that's that's right. Like it was always about that. It was always about telling Desmond Ritter's story and David DeJulius' story and Jeremiah Davenport's story and you know, being back on that campus where I was basically born and raised um in a in a fan of 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 UC athletics, to be back there and to tell the stories of Michelle Clark Heard and Mari Thomas and Lori Pirtle. And it was always about the people and the student athletes and the ones that we go and watch and support. It was never about me. Um, and I, I, I mean, I, there were a lot of days where you know, I worked every day and a lot of times all day where I would do two or three stories during the day and then I'd cover a game at night. And I was working really, really hard to do great work. And I felt like on the back end, I wasn't giving that work back in the sense of like, um, 
you know, having quality editing and proofreading and coaching and, and um, you know, because I just, I just wanted to make it as, as great as it could be. And there wasn't a lot of people wanting to do that. It was just about, let's just get it out and move on. And, you know, let's just, I want to make this great. Like, let's, let's make this as good as it can be. I spent a lot of time on this and it just, it just, it just wasn't true. It wasn't journalism and I, I just, and it wasn't. So I think as I'm looking forward to what's next for me, I look at, you know, the outlets that I have a great deal of respect for. One is the Associated Press, which is why I've done work with them. Um, I worked there previously. So maybe that's an avenue where I'll, I'll go next. Um, Maybe it won't be, you know, I don't know. It, it's it's interesting, but I think I'm in a space right now where I can really um, sit back and, and, and reflect and think um, while also staying active. Like I said, I've, I've, I've done work for the AP, people that I have a great deal of respect for um, because it's about the story. It's about the people. It's about, you know, real quality journalism, which is, which is what's, which is what's important to me and which is what I got into this thing to do um, initially. So um, your question's valid, and it's, but it's one that I don't know if I have the right answer to or a firm answer to right now. Um, I'm, I'm staying busy. There's a, um, a men's lifestyle and sports betting website that has reached out um, and has asked me to help with their brand and, and generate content for them. Once that site is up and going, you know, we'll, we'll, I can I can be more um, upfront about the details of that, but it's a really cool thing. And, and, and I'm working with um, a nonprofit that's helping um, inner city youth and, and high schools, boys and girls, um, figure out how to um, be prepared for college. And not just athletes, but you know, to students. But it's it's there's a focus on athletes, and particularly how do you go about getting financial aid? How do you fill out a FAFSA? Um, how do you even go about getting recruited when you're not from one of the top either high schools? And so that's something that I've been enjoying, um, you know, getting into. So there's a lot of avenues and a lot of things that are in front of me. But as far as you know, where my interests are, it's still people. It's still service. It's still storytelling and um you know wherever the, the next full-time avenue will, will, will be um that will certainly be the focus really really good stuff i'm glad to, to see you're heading and exploring all these different avenues and trust me that the irony is not lost on me when i think about the fact that i'm asking you a question about journalism as I, a non-journalism professional, sit here with a self-started podcast where I am basically on here as a personality and a fan and reacting to, to the basketball team and the football team and shouting off and spouting off opinions about you know, God knows what. Again, That's while good. also saying, like, how about how about journalism? <laughs> right. There's a space in that, like, and I'm not trying to like, you know, degrade. Um, you know, personalities and, and big Twitter followings and, and social media influencers. Like, that's not what I'm trying to do here. It's just that, you know, when your heart and soul is 
in journalism and that's your priority as far as what you're trying to do with your job and your career and that's that's not the focus well then you're like all right well salute appreciate it i need to go somewhere where that will be the focus you know what i mean and it's not it's not a, it's not it's just what i'm looking for but no like your podcast is dope and there are several others especially in this city that are doing great and there's an avenue for all of that like whether it's i don't want to shout any other ones out but you know i mean there's a lot of great ones here so um it's been it's been it's one thing about that i've loved about being back here is just um because it's been i left here in February of 2009 and then being back coming back and seeing the different voices and faces around not just UC athletics but Bengals Reds so on and so forth um it's just been really cool to see um a variety of different voices and perspectives and faces and men women of all ages and and backgrounds so this city has grown a lot since I left it and that's been that's been really fun to be a part of again for sure well, the last big story you covered was Cincinnati, and I kind of want to start getting into the fun stuff. And I'll be curious to see how you can talk about these things, because you went from really? reporting on them to, to now kind of watching them from afar in some sure. respects and a little bit more as, as a fan. Right. Like, you know, you're yep. going and covering the Houston game, but it's more from the Houston perspective. But you're still watching and seeing what's happening with the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team and where they're trending and how they close the season. The last big story you covered for Cincinnati was the coaching search for football, which to me was one of the more remarkable coaching searches I've experienced as a fan watching this, looking at Twitter and saying like, where are the new clues coming from? Who's got the scoop? Who has an idea of who's actually a real candidate for this job? From your perspective as someone who's, you know, reported in in college sports for a while. And I got to be honest, even hearing you recap, your time at Cincinnati, I mean, it couldn't have been more eventful in terms of hiring John Brandon, firing John Brandon, hiring Wes Miller, and then seeing Luke Fickle leave and bringing on Scott Satterfield. Is is the approach John Cunningham takes and the level to which he keeps it close to the vest, is, is that unique? Is it unprecedented? It seems completely unique when I look across college sports and see how these other searches go. Yeah, uh, John is a is a different cat, <laughs> um, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Like he's just, I think I think a lot of it stems from his background as a as a lawyer. Um, he's very guarded and very close to the vest. He's been that way about everything, um, not just Satterfield. He was that way, um, you know, following the John Brandon dismissal and. I think none of us that were on the beat, you know, Wes Miller wasn't on any of our radar, you know, radars. We had, you know, Eric Martin and several other people that we thought um, would be ahead of him. And I feel like it was like the 11th hour when, you know, we heard about this coach out down in Greensboro. He's been killing it and he's made his own ways, but we never thought, you know, he'd be a candidate for this particular job. But yeah, John is, I like John Cunningham a lot. He's always been great um, to me and, and we've had a great relationship and a great rapport. And um, even from, like I said, on my last day, we had a great conversation just about, you know, what I was trying to do on that beat. And um, I think he saw it and appreciated that and uh, saw it from my work. But he's a different kind of dude and 
Um, again, like this was a situation where there were a lot of names being thrown out there, a lot of rumors, a lot of speculation. Some people were reporting that um, someone had just interviewed for the job when they never even interviewed for the job. Um, like I'm, I, you know, I remember I was I called a coach. I called a coach, and I won't I won't say anything, but it's whatever. Um, I called a coach, and I'm like, you know, there's a rumor that um, a coach on your staff is interviewing for this job. Is that true? It's like he's like there's there's like reports that he's like on campus reporting like you know interviewing for this job, and he's like, dude, he's sitting right next to me. So I don't you know I I don't know if he's if he's at Cincinnati, I must be at Cincinnati, but I'm pretty sure we're still on we're still in the office. So um, it, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't until like I said the eleventh hour once again where you know we started hearing rumblings of Scott Satterfield, and it, it was an interesting hire. I don't, I, it's obviously too soon to say if it's um, good or bad. It wasn't splashy. It wasn't sexy, which I think is what a lot of fans wanted, especially as you're entering the ranks of the Power Five and going into a big conference and. There's going to be more money and more resources, and, and you're you're expanding your reach with recruiting. You want a big name that's going to bring in big name recruits, and and I don't know if Scott Satterfield is that. He and his staff have recruited well at Louisville, um, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this thing unfolds. It's interesting. I, I told I told Wes this, and I don't think he would, would mind if I shared it. But after after Scott was hired, I was like. I was like the the fate of UC athletics now rests on the shoulders of two North Carolina boys. I said, so <laughs> holy crap, it's on you. Good luck. And he started laughing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think both guys were, you know, I, I, obviously, you know, they 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 were successful in their own right. Um, I don't, but they weren't the number one or number two or number three choices for those jobs. Um, I do believe that Wes Miller is the right coach. Um, I don't know if Scott is, but I, I think that um, – I think the good thing is he wants to be here. He's excited. Um, I don't think he necessarily sees it as um, a stepping stone. I think he can really truly see himself building something here, heading into, you know, one of those power conferences where he can really, you know, plant a flag and do something great. So I think it's – I think it's uh, – Exciting! I think it's fun, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing, um, you know, where Scott goes, and, and, and hopefully West can have a good, productive end to this season, and, and have some strong building blocks, some strong building blocks as he enters the club. From a coverage standpoint, and a coaching search like that, because I'm actually glad you reminded me that the West Miller hire was extremely close to the vest too. So. Cunningham is two for two now and basically keeping everything a secret. You've got different entities in the local area that basically build coverage around access and being able to give you insights early on about what's actually happening behind the scenes. Cunningham doesn't let you do that. It's very apparent. Nobody actually had any idea what was going on. When it comes to a coaching search like that, what's your opinion on whether or not it is the right way to do it? Because you actually, because of the lack of transparency in the search and the lack of information out there, you're basically creating uh, an information vacuum for bullshit to filter in. 
and <laughs> all you all you have is fake information at that point, which then leads to panic and and chaos, for lack of a better word, within the fan base. Because you've just got people that are losing their minds based on, oh, is this this name? You've got to be kidding me. We're really looking at yeah. you know the the head state the 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 head coach from Kent State, who by the way is now the assistant coach for Deion Sanders, folks. So uh, watch <laughs> out there. But yeah, what do, what's your opinion on that? Do you do you see that as maybe a misread from Cunningham? Um, who's that Kent State coach's name? Sean it's- Miller. No, it's not Sean Miller. Sean. Um, uh, Davis, what's his name? I can't remember. Sean Lewis. Him, it's Sean. It's Sean Lewis. I covered him briefly. Uh, Kent State played coincidentally um, at Wisconsin, and he played at Wisconsin under Paul Chris. And I did a story with him returning back to Madison. How special that was! It was before Wisconsin blew him out of the stadium, which they should have. Um, but that was a really, again, that was a cool story about the people and how special it was for him to have an opportunity to bring his own program back to his alma mater, um, you know, the storytelling aspect of it. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, like, is it giving Cunningham an advantage by keeping it so close to the vest? That's what I can't quite put my finger on. Like, I'm not sure anybody having an idea you might go to Satterfield gives you an advantage. I think when you have a job like you do at Louisville, it probably is important to keep that one closer to the vest. So I think maybe I'm explaining to myself right on right now that that is why you would keep it so close, but it just seemed like ever there was kind of an uproar and you create a certain narrative around the coach before he's even been announced. Yeah. Um, I think the the tough part that's working against Cunningham and it's not his fault. Um, it's not anyone's fault. It's just, it's, the sign of the times is we're in a 24-7 news cycle and we want it now. Um, we want information now. And it's it's like the dangerous part is with him being so close to the best, now not only are, are consumers in a we want it now, we need information now, but then journalists you know, they now get into a, a a way where they want to report it now and they find information, whether it's credible or not, and they feel like they need to put it out just to be first. They need to put it out um, just to feed the beast. And I think that's a thing. Like, there were a lot of, you know, rumors that were coming out in false reports um, that just weren't true. Like, it just, there's, he didn't even talk to Dion. Like, like, and there were like people were already like saying he's coming and da da da. What? Like, it's ridiculous. Like, and I get the, the the connection and why people wanted Dion, but that's that's the dangerous part is where, um, there's a lot. There was a lot of uns- like there was one time where during that whole ordeal with with the post fickle coaching search where. There was so many rumors going around, whether it was Heartline, um, which was anyway, um, Dion, and and so and I just I had John Cunningham, and I just said, dude, this is getting crazy. You got to give me something, and um, like just something that I can put out there for the people because people are losing their minds. Yes, um, and that's when I tweeted 
uh, a direct quote from John, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was just, it was a, something that, yeah, I'm trying to feed the beast, but I want to do it in a responsible way um, and go right to the source. And the thing about football searches is, like with basketball, a lot of it is agents, where football is different. There's coaching firms, so there's six, seven, eight, nine people. There's third parties. So it's it's hard to, I mean, if you got an agent's number with basketball, I mean, you can call the agent straight up, or you can, and then that's 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 such a, that's such a smaller community in that just inherently it's a smaller sport, right? There's five guys on the court. There's 12, 13, 14 guys on the team. You know, with football, there's a hundred and whatever many guys. There's 39 assistants and staff. There's So it's just there's so many opportunities for that just to get lost in the shuffle. And basketball is a little more intimate. So I think that's where maybe the, the, the reporting is a little more credible and less rumory. That's not a word, but you get it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's just I don't I don't want to say it's 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 a positive or negative. Um, it's his way, and you know I again I, I don't want to share too many too much about like personal conversations. But um, Cunningham did say that he he wants to do better as far as you know keeping keeping people in the loop because look I I told this I told this in Cincinnati you see on on several occasions. Um, like I was like I've, I've I've covered University of Kentucky and University of Wisconsin and Marquette and ASU and I'm like I've never seen anything like this. I have never seen anything like this. Just you know, usually an AD will sit down with you and we'll talk off the record and blah blah blah. And it's just it's just a different kind of thing with with John. But he has his his style and his way and um. Hopefully it works, right? Like I, like I said, I think those of us who have been following the basketball program, I think we believe um, that West is is the right guy. Now you just got to figure out, you know, how much time are you willing to give him? He's obviously recruiting well. Um, I think we thought that this season would be a little stronger. Um, there's a, there's been improvements, obviously, um, but I think heading into the Big Twelve it's really going to be an important season as far as how that thing starts off. And then with Scott, you know, I asked Scott during his introductory press conference, you know, he guided Appalachian State from the FCS to the FBS. And I think that's that's a big transition for any program and any university. I think John Cunningham saw, okay, that was a success. Now, can he do the same guiding us from the group of five to the power five. Is there something that, and I asked, I asked Scott, I said, is there something that you can pull from that experience that will help Cincinnati be successful on day one in the Big 12? And, and, he, and he, you know, he had an answer, but he also said, you know, ultimately it's about people and it's about players. It's about getting the right players and the, and the, and the best players. And um, so that's the challenge that he faces is just figuring out how to get the ground run, how to hit the ground running, um, how to do a better job of recruiting here at home. You're in a recruiting hotbed, you know, obviously with Cincinnati, but the state of Ohio, Pennsylvania. Um, there's a lot of great football being played here in the Midwest, Chicago. Um, and now you're going right up against, 
Gino Gadoli and Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame and and Lucas Luke Fickle and, and, and freaking former Bearcat coaches up there, you're all going to be fighting over the same guys. You know, how can you figure out how to separate yourself um, amongst these other coaches and assistants who have already laid the groundwork in this area? Um, and, you know, that's going to be a challenge for him. So, yeah, I mean, it's – it's uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's a detriment or, or a negative or positive, but it's John Cunningham's approach and, and fans – He's the big man in charge, so you just got to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he's he's prioritizing having control over his process. He he does an incredible job executing that. The what you lose though is you lose control of some of the narratives that can happen, and some of the conversation you create, or the hype, or 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 opposite that you get when you hire this new coach because of the information vacuum and just because of the fact that it's going to be filled in with opinions and hot takes and and that's it's an interesting thing to think about and it stood out for me as something that's unique to john cunningham's process and so i think you yeah and there's pros and cons too right like i think he's been really close to the best about um certain deal with with the tql deal that he that he uh recently announced and we'll have tql on labels on their logos on the, the field at nipper um there's a lot of things that he's been really close to the best. The apparel deal, which there are rumors about, and people are excited. And but I think you know his thing is he just really he, he doesn't want it to not work. So he doesn't want fans to get so excited about something and then it falls through. Or let's say this coach is really the guy or, or that he really wants, you know. But maybe that didn't. You know, and I'm not saying I'm not speaking specifically. Um, I just think he's just such a. You you think of that legal background. He just wants to, even with the the John Brandon thing. You know, everyone, including us, were like, "Yo, what is going on?" You know, and it's, it was days before um, maybe we heard stuff off the record or you know, kind of trickling out of, of the university. But as far as like something firm and on the record from John Cunningham and in the athletic department, it was really slow, right? We were just like, yo, what is going, we got six players in the portal. The coach is, is, in, lim- is in limbo, what, you know? And I just think he just, he really wants to be buttoned up before um, he throws something out there. And it's, it's just his process. I mean, fans who have been here a while, remember Mike Bone? He was the complete opposite. And I wasn't here for that. I was, I was just watching from afar. But he was the complete opposite of that. So it's just it's just a process, and um, who cares if if you win, right? Like True. if West turns his thing around and becomes the next Bob, I hate to say that, but I just mean the next great winning coach. Um, if Scott Satterfield is able to, you know, really pick up where Luke Fickle left off and, and keep this thing rolling in the Big Twelve. Um, who cares? None of that matters. None of it matters yeah. at that point. I just I need fans to. Scott needs a minute though. Like, my schedule isn't. It's not that easy, right? And, and I I don't know who the hell is playing quarterback for them. So um, <laughs> I don't. I was I was, I was going to say we're not in Kansas anymore, but we're literally going to be in Kansas now. We're, we're we're not going to be in the American Athletic Conference anymore, and it it's refreshing, a, but it's going to be. A little bit more of a murderer's row than we've than we've grown accustomed to. 
it's either going to be, uh, I, you know, I don't want to say too much. I, I just, I just, uh, they got a lot ahead of them. Um, not just football, basketball, women's basketball. It, it, it's a, all of it. It's all, it's all going up a level. And it's Let me coming. Ask one, coming. one final short question on football. And then I really want to get to where there's a lot of meat on the bone, which is basketball. Sure. Do you think, let me back up. John Cunningham was prioritizing coaching an active P five coach for this job. That's how that's my read based on his comments, based on the introductory press conference. Do you think that Scott Satterfield was option a, when it came to who he was going after? Um, No, but I, I don't want to say that it wasn't. I think he was on a list. And I don't want to say it was A, it was one, two, three, four. I think he knew exactly the type of person that he wanted. Like I tell people from the jump, Deion's not coming here, guys. Can you imagine <laughs> Deion Sanders and John Cunningham? Yeah, like I was like, like look. Look, yes, I was, I was, I wanted it so badly, Keith. I get it. I don't. I feel like it should have been able to happen. I'm not sure why it couldn't have, but to me, it, he was he was the home run hire of the coaching cycle, and I can't be convinced otherwise. I just can't, for the life of me, picture. I, there are a lot of pros with Dion, and I don't want to say these are cons necessarily, but when you're hiring Dion, there's a lot that comes with that. And again, I'm not saying it's a negative. You're seating a lot of you're seating a lot of control. Like the AD has to have almost no, no ego about this. You're seating no immense amounts of control. And again, think of John Cunningham and John Brandon's relationship and how that fizzled out. And you know, John is a guy, whether you like him or not, you know, he wants to do things his way. And you know, he's gonna buck a little bit. And how did that work out, right? Like, and I just think Dion is a guy that, look, leave me alone. This is my program. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Um, you know, if there's an apparel deal, you know, where is Dion signed? Think about that. That would right. come in. That would come into right. play because Dion's like, I'm not going over there. We all know what the rumors are, and, and you know, um, so there's a lot of things that are in place when you're trying to figure out you know, who to be the face and the CEO of your football program. Um, you know, we, we joked a lot reporters um, about it being a football school, right? And it's not, right? It's still very much a basketball school historically. But right now, football is, is hot. And you want to get a coach who can capitalize on that. But yeah, I, you know, and, and I think he had a list. I know he had a list. Um, but I, I don't want to definitively say that I don't think Scott was his first choice or his only choice. It wasn't A, but I think there was a group that he had and um, he kicked the tires on a few guys. And I really truly believe that he thinks, he thinks Scott is the guy um, who can be a great CEO. And, and I think a big thing too, is he wanted a coach who will truly embrace NIL. And I think Luke did it kicking and screaming. Right. Like he he just damn it's fine. Like Luke is a very old school, hard nosed. I just I just care about football. That's really all the freak I care. Football, family, faith. You know, but he's such a huge football guy. And the NIL stuff, whether you like it or not, it has to be a factor right now. 
and you look at what Louisville is doing with it, and I think Scott has really embraced it. I think that was important. And he wants a guy who's going to be ahead of that and, and be um, proactive instead of reactive. And I also think he wanted a guy who's, who's going to be, um, you know, not shying away from getting people who are familiar with what they're going to see in the Big 12. Um, so he doesn't want to get another Big 10 guy. He doesn't want to get a guy from the ACC. You know, a guy he wants to get a, a guy who's open-minded offensively um, and then can bring in guys um, who are, who are you know, more familiar with what we're going to see over there in that, in that conference. But I don't know, man. You know, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I don't have, I don't have um, really, honestly, uh, an opinion either way on Scott Satterford. I really do. We just think we need to sit back and just see how this thing shakes out. The spring game will be the most anticipated spring game um, in years, even, you know, I think last year we were excited to see what the hell the quarterback position would look like. But this spring game, so many departures, so many new faces, um, a, a new offense, a new defense. Tom Manning's got, offense. We got it. We got a first look at yeah. Tom Manning's offense. I'm really looking forward to seeing what spring game looks like and, uh, you know, who gets the reps. And because I think, uh, I think last spring game really, told us a lot about what we were going to see with the Bearcats this coming season, good or bad. Um, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. That's a good point. Let's transition to basketball. The tweet you sent that actually prompted me to reach out to you and try and get you on this podcast was this. Big stretch for West Miller Cincinnati squad as it wraps up its final ACC AAC season. Fast forwarding a couple lines, you said the next five games were at ECU, at UCF, Temple at home at Memphis home to SMU since that tweet was sent we have two games that have been played at ECU at UCF we went one-on-one in those games that to me is not shocking the game we lost more shocking with where with the way the season has played out it's kind of been in it's been in three distinct parts in my opinion now you sort of have this non-conference schedule that was very meh from the standpoint of we beat all the teams. We beat almost all the teams that we should have beaten. We lost on the road to NKU with an abysmal 11 point half. And we didn't put up much resistance against the top 25 competition we played, which included at the time an Ohio state team that has since completely fallen off the rails. Now, and then you, you enter American athletic play and you see things starting to get better. The defense, the defense is starting to come together. There's a little bit more cohesiveness. We're not just letting teams have a layup line against us. You're seeing Jeremiah Davenport's role changed. There's a bit of an identity being established with the team, but then there's, there's this distinct separation where I suppose it happened in, in turn or in line with the, the Vic lock in injury. Um, or maybe it was, you know, the start of Tulsa because Tulsa and UCF, the first couple games were amazing. They, that was where I was most excited about the basketball team. Vic Locking gets injured against Tulane, and that's when you have the Tulane collapse in the last two and a half minutes. You have the ECU collapse in the last nine minutes of that game. And then you had a near collapse against UCF today. Um, I'm not even sure where to start with this basketball team. <laughs> and and what we're seeing on the court, but what's your read on how things are going in year two for West Miller? 
You alluded to it earlier. I heard, I heard you say we're making maybe a step forward, but it's a smaller step forward than people would have liked. What's your read on the current state of affairs with UC basketball? Um, we need to be patient. <laughs> I think uh, I think fans thought UC fans want Houston is what Cincinnati was, and I always I, like I was. I think I can say it now. I was sitting next to a Dallas Mavericks scout. And um, it was the day that they played Houston at home. And he had some Houston guys on his on his list, obviously. Um, Jarris Walker, probably number one. He was intrigued by um, – he was intrigued by a couple Bearcats. And um, it's obvious who he was looking at, Landers, Nick Rockin, and um, Daniel Skillings, scouts love Daniel Skillings. His athleticism is through the roof, as we all know. He has in the NBA caliber athleticism. It's just the rest of it has to catch up. Um, but there's no doubt that he has a body and an athletic build to play at the next level. Um, no doubt. But my concern, the reason why I put that tweet out is Okay, 17-9 and nine last season, and then you lose the last five of the regular season. 17-9 and nine again this season, and then you suffer a brutal loss at ECU. And we can use the big lock-in excuse. Screw that, dude. Like, you don't lose that game. You got seniors and juniors all throughout this roster with big game experience. Um, the Julius, Jeremiah... You know, there's so many others, you know, guys who have played. Um, you don't lose a 16-point lead to an inferior opponent. I don't care if you're playing in Antarctica. Like, it is, like you figure out a way when you're as old a team as this one is and experience is the same to figure out a way to win that. Um, I see a lot of people blaming Wes Miller for that loss. Um, of course, like, you know, especially at that level, a coach deserves – um, his or her share of the blame, but you know, you, as a player and as players, you have to take ownership of what's happening out there on the court. You know, coaches can only do so much, and I think that's what we need to start seeing is just guys who have been here, Jeremiah, Mike Adams, Woods, taking true ownership of what's happening out there. Um, and I think that's something that I think we should, I wish we'd see more of especially from a guy like JD who dude this is his city like he's this is he's really of this community and he talks about it all the time of just taking great pride and um and in, in, in what happens out there and I think he's had a great year as far as making better decisions speaking generally he's had some you know some issues still but I think he's shown a lot of maturity this year but I think what's happening with this team, is the expectation is for us to take these massive leaps. I think a lot of people would thought, well, shoot, we were picked to finish third in the ACC. If that's Houston, Memphis, Cincinnati, there's a good chance that we'll be in the NCAA tournament. And you're, you're, you're trying to build a program where you're bringing in a bunch of new faces every single year. They're playing pivotal roles. And it's, 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 it's becoming a challenge to figure out how to make these guys jail and jail quickly. Um, 
but the but but that's like whatever like you have to figure out a way to win the games that you're supposed to win you got you can't lose to northern kentucky university it's an awful loss and it, it's like one of those games where we knew going into it like this game means a lot more to nku than it does us like it just that's just what it is and it played that way like that's how the and I think that's a big flaw for maybe a coach like Wes who's not from here and maybe doesn't understand that. Um, like, we can't just get up for Xavier. We got to get up for every single one of these games, man. Like, um, but you got, I, I just, I think, like, we have a guy in David DeJulius who, I, I, I love watching him play, especially against the UCF game here where, he was so calm, cool, and collected, even on that last play, where all right, everybody get out of the way. And you could watch on the game when you were during the game, all the, the assistants were going, Go, David, go. And he's just like, No, like, I'm going to go at my own pace. I'm, and he just knocked it down. But I feel like we need more guys on that team who play that way, who are calm, cool, collected, where you know, they don't get too high or too low emotionally. Um, consistent. We need more consistency from our top players. Landers will look like a, you know, top thirty NBA draft pick one night, and then we can't find them on another night. I think I, can- I compared I compared Landers Nolly early in the season to Armin Kirkland, and I honestly, I'm going <laughs> to pat myself on the back. I think it is one of the best comparisons I've ever come up with because Armin Kirkland had the same tantalizing talent where you would see flashes of this guy is going to break out and be dominant. And maybe it happened to senior year pre ACL injury, but it didn't, you, it would be an enigma. It would be someone that would giveth and taketh, and And that's very much the Landers Nolly experience. I would say he's actually more consistent than Armin Kirkland, but does have a lower upside overall. I, I look at it a little bit like this, Keith, and I'm someone who has been somewhat on the harsher side of things on West Miller this season, but it's, it's due to this. The team closed the year last season with a three and nine record in February and beyond. They they lost nine of their final 12 games. And it's not so much that you're expecting Wes Miller to turn lemons into wine. It's simply that the team as the season went along got worse and the def- defense fell apart. And we were losing games to inferior competition with no more talented rosters. Like they just, these were simply not more talented rosters coming into year two. You upgrade the roster in a few areas. You add Landers Nolly. You, you see transfers like Mason Madsen and Mike Saunders jr. And, and in their place, you're adding a, an experienced Rob Finnessy. You're adding Kalua Zikbay guys who, whether it's injuries or just simply not being able to make it at this level, it hasn't quite panned out the way you'd want it. And that's, those are those are West Miller decisions to bring those guys in. Though injuries is mostly out of his is out of his control. Um, but what I what I've struggled with this season is the product on the court being so inconsistent, and there being seemingly so little accountability to the decisions and t- and type of play that players have on the court. I know that Jeremiah Davenport rides for the city and is proud to be a Bearcat and his homegrown talent. All of those things are. Boom, boom, boom. I love them all. I love the idea of a homegrown kid being the face of the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team. But it's undeniable that 
his his shot selection and decision making on the court has has left something to be desired at times. And sure. I, I haven't necessarily heard or seen Wes's actions indicate that he thinks there needs to be a dramatic shift in what he's doing on the court. And that's where that's where I struggle, right? And so I look at the la- the lack of di- discipline at the end of Tulane, the lack of discipline and being able to close against ECU. That is, in my mind, a reflection of coaching and a reflection of the lack of a system or the lack of getting these guys comfortable enough to make good decisions down the stretch of a close basketball game. This game against UCF, in my mind, was the most positive step we've seen so far. That was a disciplined game from start to finish in terms of we're only going to take 15 threes. We're going to ruthlessly attack the rim. We're going to try and get our big men looks down low. And if not, we're going to be driving and trying to draw fouls. To me, that was a sign of West Miller taking this team into the locker room and saying, we're going to, we're doing things differently from here on out. We're not just settling for garbage, easy looks that you can get at any time in the shot clock. But that's where, that's where I've struggled this year with West is, is still the inconsistency and still a play on the court that has left me wanting more, especially when you consider the competition we play. Yeah, and it's only about to get worse. So, and what I mean by that is, look at, we're going into a conference that has, what, five, six teams in the top 25. Um, and then when you throw in Houston in there, you know, you, you're going to get exposed in that conference, night in and night out. There's no, even the bottom half of that conference is a freaking brutal stretch. So, you know, when I'm watching Cincinnati play, I'm just like, Gosh, I hope they just get it out now. Get it all out now. Which you, you need more than one. You need to have multiple guys who can take charge on a team. When things aren't going right, you need to have more than just a six-foot guard to lean on. They're, I mean, it's just everyone's just like, all right, let's just get behind David and he'll take us the rest of the way. You bring a guy in like Landers who you thought, all right, he's going to give David some help. And it's been inconsistent. I think a big disappointment this season has been Kalu. I mean, Kalu has had quality minutes here of late, but overall, entering the season and early on, I mean, I thought we had another Eric Hicks type, another one of those undersized fours who's a gritty, grimy, get you, you know, 10 and 8 easy, you know? Easy. When, when we had the Bearcat Fan Fest, it was a collaboration with Xavier. And Kalu walked on the court. It was the first time I'm seeing him in person. And I looked at him and I was like, oh, that's that's a Bearcat power forward. Yeah, that's, no doubt. that's what they're supposed to look like. Big shouldered, no muscular. Like this is going to be a guy who's going to come in and grab boards and finish around the block. Like maybe he's not a, a rim protector per se, but we're going to get a tough, hard-nosed junkyard dog. You know, like just the old school Bearcat powered forward that you – You've, you've grown accustomed to and it, it was anything but that and we're saying this actually after the first game of the year where he had a, a very very positive contribution 12 and 6 yeah. finished around the rim looked more comfortable in this game against UCF than he has all sure. season no doubt no doubt but see that's what we and it, and it's not even we're 28 we're, we're, we're 28 games into the season by the way right. and that's and the first time about, the first time we're saying that we can talk about his body type and, and how it's a spitting image of all of those power forward undersized guys who were freaking monsters at this university. So that added expectation. But like dudes like he played four years and started a lot of those games. So it's not like 
he came in here having never played. Like he had right. monster experience. Yeah, it was at Old Dominion, but he was what was he averaging fourteen and eight or whatever over there? Like you would think that that would translate at least relatively well in the American Conference, and it hasn't. And, and West said that he and his staff um, are asking more um, of Kalu than he's been asked his entire career. What the hell are you asking of him? Like you're not. You know, we're not asking him to be Kenyon Martin out there. Like, no. we're just asking him to be a, a decent complimentary piece who can get a couple rebounds and get a few blocks, chip in on the glass every now and again. It's just been a hard time to to keep him on the floor on a consistent basis. Odi Obama is another guy who's not good offensively. Yes, he's had moments where – but, like, there's been times where, okay, I like his energy and I like his attitude and his effort – but what the hell are you doing on the court? There's been too many times like that. And again, he's another guy where he's got big time Wake Forest experience where it just hasn't quite translated. Now, defensively, John Newman was a huge part of what Wes Miller wanted to do this season, and he hasn't been healthy. Now, if you're depending on the health of John Newman, good luck with that. And I love John, but I'm just saying he's had tough luck as far as health goes. And of course, Rob, one of the better perimeter defenders in the country is gone also. So at least on that regard. But yeah, man, I mean, he, you know, Vic is having, is finally becoming the player and fulfilling some of that potential that we saw early on. Um, but Wes hasn't had a great deal of luck with some of these transfers. And, um, you know, that's got to change. Now he's got two really good players coming in as freshmen. But I think that transfer portal is going to continue to play a key role as he's building this program up. And he's got to do a long deep in that and really say, all right, is this truly the guy that we want? And is truly the guy who can play this brand of basketball? Wes really, the, the reason why I think Wes is the right guy is the brand of basketball he wants to play is what Cincinnati is historically, right? But I'm not sure he's done a great job of recruiting those guys. Um, I think some respects, at least some respects right now, you're kind of getting what you can get, and hopefully, as you're getting into the Big 12, that can change. But because you're look, man, like I think those of us who are who've been around these programs for so long, at least even if it's just being a fan, we look at Cincinnati basketball as this top 15 program with all of this success. That ain't how it's viewed nationally. That ain't how it's viewed from a 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old, right? Like, it's not. Um, and that's a big challenge for Wes to figure out how he can bring that back. But, yeah, man, I you know, I think Wes, too, is a guy who um, he's constantly trying to find that balance of being positive and giving guys freedom to play how they want and shoot how they want. And I think sometimes you got to be like, Wes, Stop that bullshit, bro, and just run this shit in and make sure that guys are taking great shots and moving the basketball and moving without the basketball. And so I think he's he's I think him like is always toting this line of finding the right balance of being a player's coach, guys that, that you know, guys really like him and yeah. like playing for him. And being a, a sometimes a really true disciplinarian, like, dude, show a butt off sometimes and then later on you can be nice. But like right. Wes, not Wes, but Bob and Nick and, you know, I'm going to mention the other coach, but, like, those guys 
what about being nice? Like, fucking trying to win out here. Like, we'll be well, nice later. There, there's something to be said for being more of a player's coach in 2023, right? Like we're seeing, we're seeing Bob Huggins struggle in this era. Mick, no Cronin, Mick Cronin is crushing it at UCLA, but I think that you do see, you don't see the same Mick Cronin that you saw 15 years ago at UC. It's, it, it is, it is a different looking Mick Cronin. I, I do totally agree that Wes Miller is a, his default setting is players coach. His default sure. setting is I'm, players are going to like playing for me. They're going to like talking to me. They're going to trust me. There needs to be a dial that he can turn up, like just what you said. On the court, you got to rip into a guy sometimes. On the court, you have to say, "Hey, what you? I just put you in the game, Daniel Skillings." And the first thing you're going to do is take. You're going to go back to back possessions of step back jumper, followed up by a, a a pull up three pointer with 30 seconds on the shot clock. Like, what are we doing here? What <laughs> are we doing here? Get back to the bench, sit down, watch the game. And next time I give you an opportunity, you got to be better. So that's what I'm, that's what we're looking for more of. And central Florida did offer a glimpse into tweaking and changing and adjusting the style of play to what this comp, what this team could actually do. Cause what I don't buy is, is the excuse that there's not enough talent on this team to, to attack the rim at all. There, there is enough talent on the team to attack the rim. You can, any basketball player in division one can attack the rim in some way, shape or form. You can run pick and rolls. You can beat guys off the dribble. And we saw that all game was that it just takes effort and consistency and your coach drilling it into you that this is the way we're going to play today. We're not going to settle for 45, three point shots. We're going to attack. We're going to put pressure on a defense and that's going to lead to better, more consistent results. Yeah. But we also, too many times this season have fallen into the trap of, hey, let's just give David the ball and everyone get out of the way. And I thought entering this year, we thought we'd get away from that. Sure, he'd be a key player this year and still be, you know, a, a creator for himself and others. But that's why you bring in a guy like Landers. And we've seen it. But if I'm Wes Miller, I'm telling Landers, dude, you want to play in EBA or not? Like, because – like, I, you know, like, I'm sitting next to a scout, me, and he's like, Landers hit, I think, the first three shots of that game were Landers threes. And he had 12 or 14 points in the first half or in the first, hell, eight minutes of the game. And then I think he ended with zero points the rest of the way. And it's like, we know it's there. We've seen it. But how, why, aren't you, why aren't you sustaining it? I think as a coach – you have to figure out what buttons to press. Well, while still, look, I, I coached high school football for two years, not too long ago when I was out in Arizona. And I would not want to be a coach nowadays because it's hard. It's really hard because there's a lot of entitlement. There's a lot of ego. And there's a lot of coddling before this kid even gets to you. And so you're trying to constantly find this, like, balance of um, – being aggressive and, and, and trying to be a disciplinarian without losing a kid. I feel like nowadays it's really easy to lose a kid than it was. I mean, I'm 37 years old when I played, when, when you know, 20 years ago, whatever. And so I just, I, I don't envy Wes or, or any of these companies for that matter. Um, no, I think you're yeah, going to, you're seeing, it's not a coincidence. Some of these older school coaches are retiring 
and leaving the game. And no doubt, the, the ones who are clinging on, like Jim Beheim, it looks, it looks, it looks like a, a corded phone. You know, it looks like a, a telegram. It doesn't make sense in today's <laughs> era of basketball. That's and I, I do think that these things are somewhat cyclical. You know, I think that we are in the full era of players thinking that they know best. And if you don't do for me exactly what I want you to do, I'm going to leave. That seems fine until all of a sudden you realize, you know, four or five years later, like, wow, I completely blew it with that decision. That didn't help me. That didn't, I didn't grow from taking the easy way out. And I think you're going to see an element of this swinging back because it's, there's an element of this where we're not going to tap into as much greatness or as much maximization of one's potential because you're not able to challenge people in the same way. And you do have to be challenged to have this stuff brought out of you. And so you're right. It's, it's not an envious position, but it is his position. And no, no there, there are, there are coaches across the country in new situations that, that get guys and maximize the sum of their parts. And I don't know that that's exactly happening right now. I would say it's, it would be naive to say this hasn't been a step forward this season. It has been, I would say, not as much progress as we may have wanted. There was an opportunity for it, but with with not closing some of these easy games against weak competition, I think we lost some momentum there. But, th- but there's a chance to regain it down the stretch with uh, home, or I should say road Memphis, home Temple, and home SMU. And and do you want one of those top five seeds? I'm, I'm being serious because I would rather see Houston – in the championship game, if you get that fifth seed, you might run to the Maryland like, like Here's the thing. I, I wanted I wanted a high seed on principle because I think that what Wes Miller needed, it's not it, it's honestly not about NCAA tournament. It's more okay. about it's more about I'm finishing as the two seed and I'm showing like we were the we were the we were the big big dog on campus behind Houston. And we maximized our season in conference play, we took a huge step forward from where we were last season and whatever happens in the conference tournament happens in the conference tournament. We were, we were much, much better this season in conference play. We're not going to be able to say that, I guess, you know, pragmatically, maybe it makes sense to not even get into the top five, but honestly, I think it's more important for Wes Miller to win games and teach this team and show the fan base that we can improve and close games moving into the big 12. No, I agree. I agree with that. I agree with that. And just, as a as a as a aside, man, it breaks my heart watching Houston play because they're such a freaking good basketball team, and it's literally what Cincinnati used to be. And I think back to when Thomas Sampson first got there, and he was getting blasted by Cincinnati year in and year out. And he's like, "We can't play with them. Their guards are too big. They're too strong. We need to recruit guys who can play there." And now he's built Cincinnati. And he's been he's been doing a better job of being Cincinnati than Cincinnati. And as a no long-time Cincinnati basketball fan, it freaking kills me to watch Houston. They're such a freaking good basketball team. Yeah, and respect on the Nets this year wouldn't shock me. Respect to Kelvin Sampson. They they have built a behemoth down there. He took Mick Cronin's mold at Cincinnati and took it up multiple levels. And they've made Final Fours. They've made runs in the tournament. They are a perennial powerhouse now at this point, luring in five stars like Jarris Walker. And I think ideally that is a style of basketball Bearcat fans would love to see again. And I think it's, I do think it's what, what Wes Miller pictures when he, and describes when he's talking about what he wants, but you're right. Like some of the players we've, we've 
had on the roster don't necessarily match that. And I don't know where the disconnect is there, right? Because you're saying, you know, David DeJulius is, is very important. And I was going to acknowledge the fact that he's become a remarkable playmaker in conference play. He's back to getting, you know, six, seven, eight assists a game. Sure. Spearheading the offense. He's obviously the go-to guy down the stretch of these games, but he is a six-foot point guard with tremendous limitations defensively. And we're replacing him next season with a six-foot point guard who probably has some on-ball prowess, but there's only so much you could do as a six-foot point guard. You can get bullied at the end of the day. Is that what Wes Miller envisions? Like, I'm not sure. I didn't think so, but that's that's what he's putting in his place next year in the Big 12. He wants it so badly, too. When you when you listen to Wes, he's just like, it, it kills him that they're not better. It kills him that they're not consistent. It, but it's just you have to figure out where the disconnect is and you have to do it now. Like now there's no, like you got to do this shit now. And he says that, but it's just, it, you say it, but there's, you know, you got to do it. And and he's probably losing a lot of sleep and a lot of hair. He's just trying to figure out why the heck we can do it. Why can't we do it more consistently? Well, just to figure out what Ben's suppressed. That's his job. If he, if you can find a way to get Victor Lockin back in the lineup and replicate what you saw against Central Florida. We did a, a spaces after the game. Brandon from Go Beer Cats mentioned the fact that this is going to be the best tape that Wes Miller can turn on for the team and say, look, look at the tape from this game and how often we got looks at the rim. And the fact that Odie was seven to seven from the floor. The fact that we got Kalua Zikbe layup, layups. The fact that David DeJulius with 10 seconds left on the clock, we're not fade, settling for a step back three. We're attacking and getting a much more manageable floater that allowed us to, to hit that shot. There's a lot of positives from this game that hopefully we can extrapolate into this home stretch and and see it replicated. I'm not really results-based. I'm very much process-based where <laughs> just show me there's process here and something that we can hang our hat on to say, okay, I'm finally seeing what Wes Miller wants to build here once he adds more and more talent to this roster. Sure, no doubt. Maybe the key is Brandon Kenyamar because at halftime of the shootout, Kenyon went into the locker room. Wes did not. Kenyon went into the locker room and chewed them the fuck out. And um, they responded, obviously. And they all talked about it after the game. Kenyon Martin came in. He chewed us out. He said this and that. And it made us have some pride in ourselves. And I'm like, isn't that what your head coach is supposed to do? Just saying. Um, and even Wes said it after the game. He's like, I had nothing to do with that. Kenyon went there and he did it up. So yeah, man, it's it's, it's interesting. I think Wes too is, is is still figuring this thing out. And he always talks about how Roy is still on him about certain things. Roy Williams. Um but yeah, man, you know, growing pains, man. Growing pains. It is it is growing pains. It's I, I like, you know, I we should we should have expectations. It's kind of where my head's at with Cincinnati sure. Bearcats basketball. Sure. I think you should have expectations. It's it's appropriate, and for when a coach does feel some pressure, it can lead to you bringing out a side that maybe you otherwise haven't seen before. And so, with the more time that goes on without the results he wants to see, Wes Miller is going to get more of a chip on his shoulder. He is going to be more short fused based on the fact that he simply has to be because your back's against a wall. So I think we'll see that more and more heading into the future. And and this, this UCF game on the road was, was another positive step after a, a crushing loss against East Carolina. Cause that, that was as bad as it gets. If you didn't close this UCF game, 
Keith, I don't know what this podcast would have looked like. It would have been you just talking me off a ledge for the, the last hour. And I don't know. I'm so glad, obviously, that DDJ hit that shot. But I'm not sure what we would have seen in, in overtime. Like, he misses that shot. They go into OT on the road. Um, so that yeah. changed the whole road trip, the whole road trip, man. Because if you drop that at ECU and then drop UCF, off. Oh, but maybe we oh, look back. Well, yeah. Let's we, 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 let's roll. <laughs> the story, the storyteller, and you might be saying that that David DeJulia shot is one you look back on and say fork in the road moment. That sh- shot drops, and the rest is history in terms of the trajectory of this Bearcats program. That's what I like to think. That's what I'm choosing to end this interview thinking. Keith Jenkins, I want people to make sure they're following you on Twitter. Where can people continue to follow your work moving forward? Sure, KeithJenkins.com. That's my website. Um, I need to update a little bit, but. You can still find my work there. Um, got some assignments coming up here. We're here for the Associated Press. I was just in Dayton yesterday doing some interviews with some coaches on that campus. Um, I guess Bearcats fans, I could do a wink, wink. Why would I be in Dayton, huh? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so we got some things. Just stay tuned. I'm excited for the future. And, uh, yeah, man, I appreciate everybody for following along with my work and, I truly did it when I was at the Inquirer for you guys. Truly, truly, truly. I just wanted to lend a fresh perspective from a longtime Bearcat fan, a longtime alum, but also, you know, someone who still very much um, respects great journalism. And, and I really try my best to deliver that every time out. So I appreciate everybody who read, who read my work and continue to do so. Well, we meant it when you, when we saw you left the Enquirer, you've been extremely generous with your time and giving us the time of day ever since you, you stepped foot back in Cincinnati. So we appreciate that. And I'm, I'm thrilled that we got to get you back on the podcast today. My last question for you, it's February 19th, 2023. Fast forward five years. Who is more likely to still be with the University of Cincinnati, Scott Satterfield or Wes Miller? Wes. All right. We'll leave it there. I'm not even, no, not no elaboration needed. We'll leave it there. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Cheers.